All right, well, good morning. I am Pastor Brandon. I'm not just a floating giant head. Really just thankful they didn't ask me to dance, so. Uh, well, we are continuing our series this morning, uh, Word Made Flesh. Uh, we are so glad you're here with us. We're so glad you're here to celebrate this Christmas service. Again, if you're visiting, uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, and if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, we've been looking in this series at the birth of Christ through the lens of this, this one amazing verse in John, John 1.14. And if you haven't been with us, John 1 is a, is a pretty interesting chapter. Now, to be honest, if you are a fan of a, a traditional Christmas story with the nativity scene and everything, John 1's a little bit of a disappointment because John isn't really interested in the Christmas story. He leaves all of the, the angels and shepherds and magi and, and the manger and all that good stuff. He leaves that to the other gospel writers. Instead, as John considers the birth of Christ, he focuses in on this one singular question. What does it all mean? What does it mean that Jesus was born, that Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago? And he answers that question in a profound way in John 1.14. And so we're going to go ahead and read this entire opening section of John together, the first 18 verses, uh, just to get a larger sense of the context of this answer, of this answer to the question, what does this all mean? So John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, verse 14, our key verse, our answer, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So the Word became flesh. This is the idea that we're exploring in this series. This is the answer to the question, what does it all mean? 
Now, one commentator says that these words are deep enough for an elephant to swim in, but shallow enough for a child to play in. I'm not sure if that totally makes sense, but it sounds good, and I think it's true. Because really, there, there is a, a simplicity, a straightforwardness to this idea that when Jesus was born, God became a man. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh. He lived a human life. But on the other hand, we know this isn't simple at all. There's a depth to this idea that we need to understand to really appreciate it. And so if you were here with us, a couple weeks ago we opened this series by talking about the idea that Jesus is the Word of God. He's the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the creator and sustainer, and he has a level of authority. Last week, Pastor Eric talked about the idea that Jesus dwells with us, that because Jesus is fully human, he's present with us, he can sympathize with us. And this morning, we want to talk about a third level of this verse, that Jesus reveals the character of God. I think perhaps more than anything else in this passage, it's telling us how miraculous it is that God himself can be known. Uh, now, a few weeks ago, I had a really great experience. I got to go visit with one of our Sunday school classes here uh, next door. And one of the teachers, Miss May, an amazing teacher, she had approached me because she noticed that recently the students had been asking a lot of kind of challenging questions about the Bible. And these are, you know, fourth and fifth grade students. And so they're, you know, they're getting older and they're beginning to think more critically about God and about their faith. And so she came to me and she was like, look, every week these kids have more and more questions and I can't answer all these questions. So I'm just having them write the questions on a post-it and put them up on my wall. And now my wall is just full of post-its of questions that I can't answer. And so I went and I, and I did my best to answer these questions. Uh, they really are a curious group. We're talking about everything from dinosaurs to the devil. There's a lot of questions on this wall. But there was one category of question that I thought was really interesting, kind of funny, and definitely relevant to what we're talking about today. Uh, questions about the character of God. And here's just a few examples. These are real questions. I promise I didn't make any of these up. But here are some of the questions the kids had. Does God have a six-pack? Does God eat raw men? Does he drink beer? Does God have a wife? Is God a girl or a boy? Is God Asian? <laughs> now, I don't know. I think probably some of these questions were not asked in the most serious tone. But at the same time, really, I think you can sense that there is a, a genuine curiosity here. And really, at the heart of all of these questions is a much bigger, much more important question. What is God like? How is God? What, what kinds of things does he do? How does he act? What does God look like? What these 9 and 10-year-olds are discovering is that there is a gap between who God is and what we can understand, what we can see about him. God is different from us in so many ways, right? He transcends 
physical existence and categories like gender and ethnicity. And so in a very real sense, God is completely other. He's outside of, of our understanding. And John expresses this reality in our passage. He says this in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. And in this verse, John is probably referencing a a passage from Exodus 33. And in this episode, Moses and God, they're they're having this this deep heart-to-heart conversation. And at the end of this conversation, Moses says to God, he says, God, now show me your glory. And God responds in a pretty memorable way. He says, no, Moses, I'm not going to do that because no one may see me and live. He says, if I show you my full glory, we're going to have like a Raiders of the Lost Ark situation here. You're going to not be able to handle all of my glory. Again, there is a gap between what our physical senses, what our minds, what it can comprehend, and all that is God's amazing, unseeable glory. And the more you understand about this and this, the more you realize that that gap is immense. Now, I think most of the time, this is not a huge deal. We can live without knowing about God's six-pack or whether he eats ramen and drinks beer. But at times, and, and I think probably more often than we want to admit, this can, can create trouble. This can make us uneasy. Because eventually, these small questions have a way of getting much bigger. As we grow, as we experience life and hardship, as we learn more about God and the world around us, what is God like becomes less theological, less curiosity, and far more personal. As we endure the ups and downs of life, we wonder things like whether or not God is really that good, whether he's really loving whether he's really fair. We wonder why he does what he does, whether or not his actions and plans really are always what's best. And the root of all of this, these questions is this uncertainty about what is God really like at the core? What is God? How does he act? Who is he? And the more we struggle with this question, the more we struggle with the idea that we can't fully see God, the more we struggle to to trust him, to love him, and to follow him. And I think, really, this is the darkness that John is talking about in chapter 1, in the beginning of our passage. There's this cloud of sin that, that, that just hangs over us. And this cloud obscures our vision. It makes us so that we can't understand God. So that we struggle with anxiety and worry and doubt. This darkness drives us to trust in the things that we can see rather than God. And so when we talk about the miracle of Jesus' birth, when we come back to this baby Jesus coming into the world, this idea that we call the incarnation, God made flesh, 
one of the things that we cannot miss is the beauty of this revelation, the beauty of Jesus coming to reveal God to us. And really, I think this is the point that, that, that John has been building to throughout this chapter. He's saying, guess what? Because God has become flesh, you can know God in a real way. Even though you can't see God's glory, the, the glory of God the Father in full, you can know him fully in God the Son, Jesus the Son. Let's look back at our passage to see the flow of thought here. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So, therefore, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Just a few verses later, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God as, and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Jesus, the word made flesh, is making it possible for us to know God because he is bridging this knowledge gap. See, think about who God is or who Jesus is as God and man. On one hand, he is fully God. He is divine in every way. The book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul says that God was pleased to have all his fullness all that he is, all, that, all his character, all his nature dwell in Jesus. And so Jesus' thoughts are God's thoughts. His words are God's words. What he does is what God would do in every situation. But at the same time, Jesus is a real, living, breathing person. And so he can show us God's character in a way that makes sense to us. He can speak to us as we would speak to each other. He can react the way we would react. He can show us the heart of God through the lens of real human experience. Jesus coming as man is significant because he is telling us the story of God, the character of God in a language that you and I can understand. Now we have to understand how different this is than anything we experience in real life, how much Jesus reveals God. See, in real life, we have parallels to this, right? Like a father-son. So if you look at my son, Grayson, you would see some, you know, some things that are similar to me. You might learn a little bit. You might gain some insight into what I'm like if you spent time with Gray. So Gray is, is a, like a nonstop thinker. His mind never stops going. And so he talks a lot. He has a lot to say. He has a lot of thoughts. And so sometimes, you know, he'll just be going and going, and I'll like, look at Alyssa and be like, man, like, where does this come from? And she looks at me and she's like, oh, no, where do you think it comes from? <laughs> it's just like me. He has a lot to say. He loves candy and Marvel movies. He loves to run around and play sports. He's already got one gray hair at the age of seven. He's a reflection of his dad. <laughs> but at the same time, he is not me. Right? We are different in many ways. I mean, how can a kid who doesn't like pizza truly be a reflection of his dad? See, John isn't talking about a normal father-son relationship because we know that there are some things that are similar and some things that are different. He's saying that this is a relationship 
worship within the triune God. And we won't get into all the details of this. But they are the same, two people, same nature. There's nothing else like this. And so everything Jesus does is a real human version of what is true about God. So when Jesus heals the sick and loves the poor, we are seeing God's infinite compassion and mercy on a human scale. We're seeing it applied within human relationships. When we see Jesus calming the storm, we're seeing God's awesome, uncontainable power on a level that we can understand. When we hear Jesus talk about generosity and forgiveness, we're seeing godly virtues. We're seeing God's heart applied to human virtues. And obviously, you're not going to be able to answer every question that you have about God by looking at Jesus. Uh, the biblical authors are, are silent about Jesus' physique. They only tell us so much about what he ate and drank. But what is clear is that everything that we need to know to love God, to trust God, to be in a real, honest-to-goodness relationship with him, everything that we need can be found in the person of Jesus. Now, this is important for a lot of reasons. And on one hand, I, I think at the most basic level, it's an invitation just to keep on reading this story. See, John is framing this opening chapter, and he's saying, look, I've got something to tell you. I have good news for you about this person, Jesus. And so he starts this off with this chapter like a, like a great teaser trailer. Right? Coming to a gospel near you, you could know the true and living God. You can know the God who created the universe, the God who holds all life in his hands, the God who has the pathway to life and blessing. You can know him. Just keep reading. And so whether you are visiting church for the first time or have been a Christian your whole life, there's always an invitation to keep reading, to know more. And there not, might not be any better way to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate the birth of Jesus, than to go just a little bit deeper into his life, into who he was, and to find the character of God in that story. But at the same time, I, I do think there is something that God wants us to see about him, something specific about him that he wants us to see right here, right now, in John 1.14. See, what we see in the Word made flesh, I think probably more than anything else, is God's unbelievable commitment to us, his deep, unrelenting love for us. See, this passage doesn't just tell us that we can know God. What it tells us is how badly God wants us to know him how badly God wants us to experience his goodness, his glory in our lives right now. See, in this act of God made flesh, we see the lengths that God will go to to be known. Now consider this for a second. Remember that God has been reaching out. God has been trying to be known throughout all of history. 
Since the moment in Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden, that, that first sin, God has been reaching across this knowledge gap so that sinful people could know him, could know his goodness, could know his blessing, could know his life. God rescues Israel from Egypt. He says, I want to show you my power, my redemptive life. He gives Israel the law so that they could know what he cares about, what's important to him. He gives them his presence in the tabernacle and the temple, and he says, I want to dwell right here with you so that you could know me and spend time with me. He reveals himself in fire and cloud. He speaks through the prophets and the priests. He gives them land and a nation. See, God had been trying to tell Israel who he was for centuries. But what happened? They, they, they rejected him. They, they either missed the point, they didn't understand, they forgot. And so they didn't know him. When God sends Jesus, it's a reminder of his grace and his commitment. See, God refuses to place the responsibility on us to bridge this gap. He doesn't say to us, you have to do better. You have to be smarter. You have to know more. When are you going to figure it out? You've got this gap to go. I've showed you what I can show you. Figure it out. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I've done everything I can. I've showed you everything possible. I give up. What more can I do? Instead, he says, I'm going to go a little bit further. I'm going to give all that I can give. I'm going to reach all the way across that gap. I will pay the cost so that you can know me, so that you can know how good I am how much I love you. I'm going to send my son across that gap. This isn't a short distance. This isn't a, a small sacrifice. It's Jesus giving up all of his honor, all of his glory in heaven, his relationship with God, moving across time and space to reveal God to us. This is who God is. A God who sends his son to live, to teach, and to die so that we could know him. In the New Living Translation of John 1.14, I really like the way uh, the translators describe this, this character of God. The verse is translated this way. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of love and un unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is why Jesus came, so that we could see this without any doubt. Anytime we thought of Jesus being born, we would know God's unfailing love and faithfulness. And really, this is a reminder of the hope that we have on Christmas, the hope that we have in Jesus, that we can actually know God's glory. We can see his face. We can experience his unrelenting love and faithfulness, all because of one person, one name, the name of Jesus. Let's pray together.